Good morning all. Our Bible reading today is from John chapter 20 and we're reading from verses 11 to 18. If you had your pew Bibles, it would be on 880. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look inside the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was him. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene, went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he, that he had said these things to her. Well, thank you, David. Well, hello, friends. Wonderful to be with you here uh, this Sunday. Public holiday coming up, but we are here. We're going to worship the Lord. Obviously, we're amongst a very new refurbishment place. I hope you're enjoying your seats. Uh, it's not obviously about the seats, but thank you to those who were able to help and be a part of the setup and the pack down and the reset up again. And it's quite an effort. So thank you uh, to you all. Now, the final thing that needs to happen for it is there's little um, trays that go underneath. So you want to what's happening to the Bibles? What are we going to do with our communion cups? All these kind of things. There will be a tray that goes underneath, and at that point we will be done, and that will be a good moment for us all. But in this moment, we are going to approach God's Word. Uh, Thank you for reading for us, David. As Beth mentioned, and as Steph mentioned, we're concluding our series today in Jesus through the eyes of women. And so we've faithfully preached through that, enjoyed in our Bible studies, uh, been shaped by God together. This sermon today, though, is going to be a little bit different. We're still approaching God's Word. Uh, We're going to explore the narrative of Jesus. We're looking at his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Uh, primarily through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. The difference is I won't be preaching it the whole time. In all the Gospel accounts, if you've read them, uh, you will see that Mary Magdalene is the person who is consistent and named every single time. At his death, at his burial, as in his resurrection, in all the Gospel accounts. And so when we read the Gospels and we read some of these quotes that are in there, they are definitely... Uh, said by Mary Magdalene. They would be affirmed by others, but they are certainly parts uh, directly from her. And so what we're going to do today is I've 
looked at all the Gospels and uh, historical accounts and these things, and I've pulled together what would be journal articles of Mary Magdalene. It's a creative exercise, but in a sense, it's journals of what Mary could have written. What would have it looked like for her to recount uh, the events of the day, the, the, her thoughts and perhaps emotions she would have had? So I've compiled them and I've asked Jane to read them as if she were Mary Madeline to us. After she reads, there's going to be these three scenes. After she reads each run, I'm going to come up and give some partial commentary and application each time. Because, friends, if we want to follow Jesus, or if we want to know who he is, then we have to gaze on Jesus on the cross, know what it means to look at his tomb as he lies dead and buried, and importantly, see what it means for him to be resurrected from the dead. And so as we look through Mary's eyes, I hope that as we come away from this, we will see more clearly what it means to know who Jesus is Lord, to worship him, or, or to follow him perhaps for the first time. I'm going to pray, and then we'll hear from Mary's journal. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We, Father, we thank you that it is true. We thank you it's good and it's beautiful. And Father, we pray in this moment... Uh, as we look slightly differently, Father, we want these words to be yours. Spirit, please be at work through us and in us. May the words that Jane says through Mary, may my words uh, be yours. Inspire us to know Jesus and to live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd heard rumours that a crucifixion is the worst death imaginable, and you feel tainted from just watching it. Even then, I don't think that begins to describe it. A death for the worst of criminals and enemies. But it was Jesus. Jesus hung there. Last night, Judas betrayed him, and Jesus was taken alone before the Jewish leaders. I wasn't allowed in, but Peter was there, and he told me through tears. I'm not sure why he was crying. Something about a rooster. But he said they wanted to crucify him, and they were shouting, trying to find a reason to do so. The Jewish leaders have been trying to kill Jesus the whole time I've known him, ever since he transformed me and released me from those demons all those years ago. Now was their chance. The crowd was angry, and the leaders kept stirring them up. They screamed, crucify him, crucify him, release Barabbas to us. What kind of an exchange is that? Don't they know who Jesus is? He's a healer, a miracle worker, a bringer of peace. He is a saviour. He's the Lord. What kind of an exchange is this? The worst of sinners for the man who knew no sin. This exchange is not right. It's just not fair. It's so wrong. Pilate had Jesus flogged. I couldn't bear to watch. He was then marched up the hill to be crucified. Only a week ago, I was with him on the hill looking on Jerusalem with a deep compassion. Longingly, he looked upon the people and the city, longing to gather them like a hen gathers her chicks. But he knew they weren't willing. But worse than that, they meant to kill him. I watched him walk up the hill, staggering and falling. But he couldn't make it, always falling after the flogging he had endured. So they pointed out Simon, the man from Cyrene. He carried Jesus' cross. The wood was bloodied. It smeared Simon's clothes. 
I never saw Simon again, but I can only imagine what it was like to carry the cross of the Lord. The other women of Galilee and Mary, Jesus' mom, were with me. We'd walked many cities with Jesus. He'd teach and show us the kingdom of God, but now there's a cross. There was no cross on my back, yet as I walked, I felt so heavy. I clung to Mary and helped her climb. I'll never know her pain of watching her son be crucified. Tears flowed down her face. At times we needed to stop. But somehow she, she seemed to know that this would happen. Up on the hill, they stripped Jesus and cast lots for his clothes. And then they stretched him out. The hands that healed others and the feet that brought hope forced into the position of death. The arms that had stretched as a gesture of embrace in all his teachings in Galilee, pointing from east to west, now nailed in position, dripping with blood. The thud and the clang of the hammer on the nails still ringing in my ears. They hoisted him and insulted him. They chanted with a smug grin, let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. But still, Jesus didn't fight back. Instead, still somehow filled with compassion, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can forgiveness even be possible for such an act? Jesus still seemed to think so. The Jewish leaders kept yelling to one another, Surely he can save others, but he can't save himself. Oh, at that point, I just wish Jesus would do it, but he didn't. Somehow he allowed himself to hang. I don't understand. Why did he allow himself to die? He spoke of his death, but I never understood. Even in this moment, I still don't understand. We were standing close enough to hear his gasps and his pain, but he still looked at us. He looked at his mom and he looked at John. He said, woman, here is your son, and to John, here is your mother. Even in enduring the most horrific of agonies, we could see that Jesus still truly cared for us. He had been hanging there for six long hours. Even though it was the middle of the day, the sky went black. A gloomy, deathly, divine silence had fallen on the land. He then cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I knew those words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus then said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last and died. An earthquake rattled our bodies, as if the very earth cried out in pain. And then there was silence. There was Jesus, crucified, with arms stretched wide. The one that I love, the one that I follow, the one who first saw me and freed me is now broken and mutilated, mocked and despised, fallen to the powers of this world, a victim of the power of Roman tyranny and a victim of the Jewish leader's corruption. The whole time I've known Jesus, he was the hero. I've seen him as a teacher and a healer and a long-awaited king. I saw him as one who calls dead people from their graves and speaks forgiveness over sinners, but now he's dead. Today was torment. Today was an excruciating death. I see him, but I see him through tears. He's still my Lord, but now he's dead. 
It would have been a very intense day. And Mary certainly wouldn't have known what was happening in that moment. She physically could see, but she could not have known that an amazing, great exchange was taking place on that cross. Amongst her tears, amongst her very real, apparent, and understanding lack of knowing what was going on, Jesus, the Son of God, needed to die, or he was willing to die. Now, when we talk about Jesus on the cross, we're Christians, we're 2,000 years later, and it kind of rolls off the tongue for us. It's, it's a horrific image, actually, for people 2,000 years ago, but we know it to be that the center of Jesus' mission, something that brings about good news, um, even if in that moment it made no sense to people. Now, when Mary would have heard those cries of the crowd, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus, crucify him, and then to watch in that moment, what she didn't understand was that Barabbas, in a way, was representative of all humanity. Barabbas was representing her. Barabbas was representing me, representing us. And Jesus took his place. Jesus exchanged himself for Barabbas. Jesus has exchanged himself for us. We know we deserve death. We deserve the wrath of God poured out on us for our sin, our rejection, our rebellion against God. But Jesus took it for us on the cross. He died the death that we deserve to die. He brought us the forgiveness that we could never earn. He loves us with a love that is far greater than we even dare to imagine. When we look at Jesus on the cross, we need to see that is he took our place. That a great exchange took place there. But what we also need to see is that Jesus was under no compulsion to be there. Jesus didn't have to die for us. Jesus didn't have to save us. Jesus didn't have to come down because he could have left us be. You and I have no right to salvation. No right at all. Nothing we have done is good or worthy for God to come and save us. As much as we hate to hear it, there is nothing intrinsically lovable about what we do or what we are. The only thing that compelled God's heart to love us is God. God is love. And that is why he loves us. That is why he came. We cannot have a relationship with God unless Jesus dies on the cross. But we cannot do anything to make him come. He had to come on his own love for us. We're not worthy to be saved. We become worthy because Jesus saved us. So friends, it is essential that we look at Jesus on the cross as Mary did. And see that a great exchange took place. To see this incredible act of Jesus taking on the wrath of God for us. But to know that this love is all because of God. We didn't earn it. We couldn't ask him to go on our own bat. He came. The grandest love and a grand gesture of embrace. But that was Friday. That's not the end of the story. Mary then experiences Saturday. So we pick up Mary's journey, journal again.
It's difficult to write today. I'm not sure what to say. Really, there's just not much to say. Jesus lies dead at his grave. I keep smelling my hands with the spices we had prepared for him. I've tried to wash them, but the aroma still fills the room. The aroma of devotion to him, but the aroma of his death, his absence. Tears have flowed down my face on and off all day. I still can't make sense of yesterday. I go over the events, but nothing becomes clearer. I feel so incomplete. Am I supposed to have hope in this dreadful hour? Only strange references from Jesus' teaching about him dying and rising fill my mind. What are we meant to do now? What am I meant to do now? Yesterday, after his death, we went to the tomb. Joseph from Arimathea and Nicodemus had asked Pilate for Jesus' body. What courage amongst great fear that would have been. Against the odds and danger, they were both there, wrapping Jesus' limp body in linen. They clearly loved Jesus. Joseph gave him his own tomb. I didn't hear them speak. Perhaps they didn't have to. I sat with Mary as we watched them. The only sounds were the folding of linen and sprinkling of spices. Then big heaves as they rolled the stone in front. They left. Mary and I stayed. I can't remember for how long. It didn't matter. Jesus lay behind that stone, meters away, but it felt like an eternal distance, divided and separated. No one crossed back from death to life. Only Lazarus, but that was at the word of Jesus. But now the word of Jesus is silent. It's the Sabbath today, a day to stop and rest. As I ponder his life, I remember all the people he brought healing and life to. Jesus was the one who brought life to Jairus' daughter, to the widow of Nain's son, and Mary and Martha's brother. But Jesus is now lying dead himself. I saw Jesus call dead people out of the graves, but now he's been laid in a grave. I saw Jesus who ordered that the stone over Lazarus be rolled away, but now having a stone rolled over his own tomb. I saw Jesus, the one who claimed to Martha that he was the resurrection and the life, now lying dead and cold. But yet, he's still my Lord. But what will I do tomorrow? I don't know. I guess I'll go to the tomb in the morning. But is there any hope? The candlelight is fading. My tears have smudged the page anyway. I wish to forget this day. Can you imagine what it would have been like that day? In between the death and the resurrection. Us Christians, we we sit here 2,000 years later, we know what happened. Uh, We know the story. But in this moment, sit in the silence. Sit in the distance between Friday and Sunday. On Saturday. I know there is times where God feels like he's far away. Can you think of those times where God feels far away? The seasons of life where he seems absent. The seasons of life where his hand seems to have gone far away. God, I wish you would do something. Why did this happen? I don't understand. I don't feel your presence. I don't feel your hand. God, you are silent. I hear nothing. 
Now, Mary and every disciple of Jesus in that moment would have felt very similar on that Saturday. But Jesus had not stopped working. Now, that Saturday in the history of Saturdays is unique. Jesus, he's fighting the battle of sin and death. He descends into darkness. He descends into death. He fights and wins the battle that you and I had no hope of doing for us over sin, death and evil. God is doing a work through Jesus that no one knew was going on, that Mary certainly could not have understood. Jesus fills the darkness with his light. He conquers it and is going to bring victory. But Mary can't see it. In Mary's experience and feeling and even knowledge at that point, Jesus is far away. He is silent. But in actual reality, he is doing the greatest work of all. Friends, in our life, when God feels far away, he actually is not. The presence of silence never equates to the absence of God. God is at work. He is still at work. We read that God um, works out all things for the good of those who love him. Now at Easter, it is death, his burial and resurrection. We know he's working out salvation, the greatest work to bring us back into relationship with God, bring in the kingdom. In our life in the silence, he might be at a work to grow our faith. He might be using or allowing some difficult season because we know that when God is in us, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. He might be removing his experience of his presence for a moment so that we can see our sin and see how dirty and bad and dangerous it is so we can turn from it. It might be that we are having experience of the brokenness of this world so that we cling to God. So we see the beauty that he's going to bring in. We set our eyes on things above and have our security in him. Whatever we feel, whatever we think, it is not the absence of God. God is always at work. God is with us even in the silence. But in the darkness of Saturday, we know comes the dawn of Sunday. And so we pick up Mary's journal again. Again, my hands are shaking, but it's not pain and loss. I'm full of hope and joy, yet somehow I'm still shocked and bewildered. This morning, while it was still dark, Mary and I and some other women had gathered the spices we prepared and we went for Jesus' tomb. We wondered who could roll away the stone, but as we approached, an earthquake shook and an angel descended on the tomb. He rolled back the stone. As we peered in, his appearance was like lightning. He was so frightening to look at. He said, don't be afraid, but I'd never been more frightened in my life. But where was Jesus? I didn't know what happened to his body. Where did they put him? What the angel said was a blur. We ran back and told Peter and John and they ran for the tomb. They told me later that they saw the linen folded in two pieces, all neat, but they didn't see Jesus. I returned and stood in the garden. I was full of fear, hoping and praying, not really knowing what to pray. Tears flowed down my face, but I looked in the tomb again. Now the angels were sitting calmly where Jesus' body had laid. They asked me, woman, why are you crying? I thought, wasn't it obvious? I said, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. 
At that moment, I turned and looked out into the garden. There I saw someone. I thought it was the gardener. He said calmly and tenderly, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? I replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Then I heard the word that changed my life for a second time, Mary. At that very moment, I knew it was Jesus. He called my name, and it was like scales fell from my eyes. At my name, I was brought to life. I fell at his feet and cried out, Rabboni, my teacher, my Lord. I could have held him forever. But he said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I couldn't hold him because he had a mission for me and he had other work to do. So I ran, I ran as fast as I could. It was a mix of fear, bewilderment and joy, but I ran. I found the disciples. I've seen the Lord, I've seen the Lord. He's risen from the grave. I still can't believe it. He's alive, resurrected from the dead. And he chose me, me to be his first witness. A woman, a reformed mental patient who'd been possessed by demons. I got to run with the first news that I had seen the Lord. But more than seeing him, he'd come to me, called my name and sent me. I know with every fiber in my body, mind and soul that Jesus is the Lord and savior of the world. He's the son of God given to us. Now his words to Martha made sense. Jesus was the resurrection and the life. He's not a dead savior. He is risen. He's the risen savior and he knows me. And soon the world will know him too. Today was a day like no other. Literally the first day of a new life. Jesus has risen from the dead. From tears of fear to tears of joy. My world and this world will never be the same. And it certainly hasn't been the same since. What a moment that would have been for Mary. Seeing, being in the presence of the Lord Jesus at that time. And I think uh, this was the Bible passage that we had read, uh, that David read for us. And in so many ways, it is a beautiful picture of the gospel or points to so many aspects of what the gospel is all about. Uh, This little snippet of Jesus in the garden with Mary. And so I want to point out three things, three things from this scene that point towards uh, the beauty, goodness and truth of the gospel, key elements of, of it. The first element is that this interaction with Mary shows that Jesus' resurrection is believable. Now, that might sound a little bit strange off the bat, uh, but the fact is that in all the gospel accounts, uh, the women are some of the key witnesses, and Mary herself is one of the key witnesses. Now, for us as 21st century people, this is actually incredibly appealing because it would have had the exact opposite effect on the first century people. A historian named Richard Borkham, he writes this. At the time, women were thought by educated men to be gullible in religious matters and especially prone to superstitious fantasy and excessive religious practices. That's pretty intense, right? Now, that sentiment is captured really well by this man named Celsus. He's a second century Greek philosopher and his mission is to debunk Christianity. And he goes about it by having a go at Mary Magdalene. This is uh, a quote from him. I quote, After death, 
apparently Jesus rose again and showed the marks of his punishment and now his hands and beard pierced. But who saw this? A hysterical female, as you say, and perhaps some one of those who were deluded by the same sorcery. If the gospel writers were going to make up Jesus' resurrection, there is no way they would have chosen Mary. Absolutely no way. Or any other woman. If they were going to make it up, they would have said um, Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. That's who they would have pinned the initial testimony on. Pinning it on women is like the Achilles heel of the gospel message at that time. But the gospel writers, they knew God knows better than them. And so they told the story as it happened. They told the truth. The only explanation for Mary being the first witness is that she actually was. Because the gospel writers would never have made it up that way. Her presence in the story there points towards the believability, the the facts of the resurrection. There's so much more than that. If you want more, please look it up. I can help you. Others can help you in that exploration too. But the second reason, and perhaps something far more personal uh, and endearing and inviting perhaps, is that the interaction with Mary shows that the gospel is exceptionally personal. That Jesus is a personal saviour who brings transformation. Now, as we heard in that journal entry, which I pulled predominantly from John 20 in this case, Mary is looking for Jesus, but the Jesus who appears doesn't fit her categories. She cannot cannot imagine an alive Jesus. She's looking for a dead Jesus. That's who she's looking for at that time. Until she hears her name. Mary. When she hears Mary, that's when she sees Jesus. That is when she like comes to life in a sense. In that moment, she's transformed. She's taken from those tears of fear to tears of joy. Still afraid, like because this is mind-boggling. This is going to change her world. It's going to change the whole world. But what it meant for her and what it means for us is that Jesus, God, is not some far-off God who has no intimate connection with his people. Yes, Jesus is the one who sits on the throne of heaven. Jesus is the one through whom all the earth and all creation came to be. Jesus is the one who is in full control. Yet he chooses to have deep personal relationship with people, with you, with me, with the world. And it also shows, and this brings us to the third element, Jesus is a personal saviour, but he also saves and sends by his grace. Did you notice the order there of how the interaction happened? Jesus says, Mary, and then she responds with teacher. Then she responds with, yes, Jesus is my Lord and my saviour. That order is important. Mary could not see Jesus until he came to her. Until he, in a sense, revealed himself to her. Friends, you and I are in a very similar position. We we are spiritually blind until Jesus comes. Until we see him. Until he makes himself known. Friends, Jesus may have already called your name and you're in his family. Praise the Lord. Rest in his grace. Or maybe in this moment, through the scriptures, through his spirit, through God's people, he is calling you 
calling out your name, to find forgiveness, to find life, to follow him as Lord and Savior for now and into eternity, to respond as Mary did, to fall at his feet, and then to complete the moment of him demonstrating his grace, he sends Mary. Now that might not seem like a moment of grace, but that is exceptional. Because when Jesus sends Mary... This is the very first Easter message. She is the very first one to declare Jesus is risen, Jesus is Lord. She goes and says it to the disciples. But at that time, she would have been the absolute opposite of a person you would expect. Mary is previously a person who is possessed by demons. We would perhaps think of her as a reformed mental patient. She is someone who is in the outcast of society. She was probably homeless. But Jesus says, no, you, Mary, you will be my first witness. I will call your name. No matter how much we think we're unworthy, you think that Jesus would not talk to me. He's done it in the past. He continues to do it today. I think what struck me here, maybe really for the first time, when you look at the narrative of John 20, excuse me, John and Peter go to the tomb as well. They go to the tomb and look in before Mary does, but Jesus doesn't show himself to them at that moment. For some reason, he chooses to withhold and go to Mary. It's not that he doesn't love Peter and John. Jesus loves Peter and John. We read about him all in John 21. But Jesus demonstrates his immense grace as he calls embraces and sends Mary as he does for us as his people. In Mary's interaction with Jesus, we see so many beautiful elements of the gospel. That is believable, that Jesus is a personal saviour who transforms, and that he calls and sends by his grace. So friends, we need to see Jesus through the eyes of Mary, through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. But as you do that, do that, Don't get caught up in Mary. Get caught up in Jesus. Always get caught up in Jesus. Look at him and live. Behold who he is. He is the great, he is the glorious Lord who died on the cross for us, for this world, who's bringing in the new heavens and the new earth, who rose again in victory. And there, as we gaze on Jesus on the cross, realizing he sacrificed himself for us, that he won the victory that we could never win, And that he rises again from the dead, bringing the victory, bringing the new life. Our eyes are taken off ourselves and they're liberated as we look at him. And it's on him, on him alone, that we find life. So friends, if you don't know Jesus yet, please look to him. He is looking to you. He is calling out to you. He's been calling your name. Come to him. Look on Jesus on the cross and risen and come to him. And if you're caught in sin, look at Jesus on the cross and risen again. If you are broken, if you feel trapped, look at Jesus on the cross and risen again. If you feel helpless, if you feel alone, if you feel that God is silent, look at Jesus on the cross and risen again. And if you feel self-assured, if you feel confident, look at Jesus on the cross 
and risen again. Friends, in whatever season, whatever moment of life you're in, whatever moment of life you will go into, continue to look at Jesus on the cross and risen again for you, for the world. Behold him, loving you, taking your place, taking our place, not just an individual thing, but for the church, for the world. Bring us in to relationship with him again and one another. Because it's in him that we'll find forgiveness, we'll find life, we'll find hope and meaning for now and into eternity. As we're transformed in him, we'll then go out and share his news with the world. And we long to see him return again. For God's glory, for the blessing of the world, and for our good. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus a complete act of your love. We know that we have nothing worthy to offer you, but you looked at us, your creation, the people that you made in your image, and you chose to love. Even though we walked away, Father, you are incredible. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, for going through, for allowing yourself to become human and going to the depths of dying on the cross for us. All we can do is worship you and thank you and praise you. Thank you for rising again from the dead to bring in the new life and victory. And please help us to live out the news and be that living sacrifices that you've called us to be. May we find all our hope in you. We worship you as our Lord and Saviour. We ask this and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.